Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions, giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. We are delighted to have Janine Uzel as our guest on this episode. Janine is the new COO of Wikimedia Foundation. Previously, she was the head of women in technology for GE, and throughout her 14 years there, she held a variety of leadership roles, including director of healthcare programs in Africa. We're excited to share this interview with you as Janine shares about her experiences being a believer in Christ in the business world. Thank you so much, Janine, for being with us today. With most of our audience being women in academia, specifically Christian women, can you share a little bit about your educational as well as your spiritual background and how that led you to where you are, your current vocation? Sure, and thank you so much for having me. This is a wonderful thing to be able to talk about my vocation and the work that matters so much to me, but more importantly, that I know God's designed for me to do. It's it's my way of getting ministry into the world. And I believe it, it's so aligned with the purpose that God has for me. You know, I, I have a pretty traditional background in the sense that I was very blessed and fortunate to grow up in a home with both my parents and some siblings. And I had a chance to go to a very good school. I went to a, a private all-girls school and then had a chance to go to university. I started out at uh, Lehigh University when I was studying engineering and I had a scholarship there and I transferred to North Carolina A&T, um, which is an HBCU. That's a historic, mm-hmm. historically black college university. I'm so proud to be a graduate of, of such a powerful HBCU. They have an incredible engineering program. But honestly, um, I have to attribute my engineering degree or at least my interest in in even pursuing that that degree from my older cousin who was uh, about 2 years two or three years my senior in university at the time. And he was studying engineering at a university in New Jersey. And he was very encouraging saying, you know, you're good at math and science. There are not a lot of women in this in this area. You should really consider studying engineering. So I kind of went with it. And it was, it was a wonderful experience. As a mechanical engineer, one, you're already in a field where there aren't a lot of women in the mechanical, electrical, you start to really shimmy down in, into the, the lack of diversity. But it was a, a great experience. But, you know, the lack of diversity for women in technology is something that I'm very passionate about, something that I speak quite often about because, you know, something um, we really start to lose uh, girls and their interest in STEM, you know, right after, right into their preteen and, and teen years, something about STEM becomes nerdy and boys are making fun of them and I don't want to be smart. I don't want to like science. And and so getting our arms around them and keeping them during that time and reminding them that this is what technology looks like. It looks like however you however you look and however you want to look and that um, just the importance of of having women in this space and as a diversity of thought, the, the world of technology has so much power and so much influence. 
And so I'm, I'm very passionate about, about its diversity. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. How, I, how it's aligned with my calling, God has given me such a heart and such a passion and, and maybe a, and a gift for people and for the world. And I just love it so much. I, f- I fell in love with the world at a very young age, watching shows like Save the Children and reading the encyclopedia and mm. just wanting to experience parts of the world and seeing children in the world that were hungry or that didn't have. And I remember I always wanted to sponsor those children with my allowance and our refrigerator would be full of children that would be my pen pals or that I'd be paying 50 cent to buy, you know, rice for or whatever the programs were then. And my dad said to me, you know, he's like, I won't be able to give you the world. He's like, I can't afford to to send you out to the world. I can't afford to take you to these wonderful places that the girls in your school get to go to for, for vacation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my classmates were going to Italy and I was, we were staying home. Right. And he's like, but I, I can't take you there. But he was like, one day, he said, one day you're going to go there. And, you know, you have a desire to save the world because I used to always say it. And he said to me, I want you to do it. I don't want you to come home until you're finished. And my father's been deceased for 10 years now, but my my earthly father that was given to me by God and then my heavenly father are so much a part of, of, of how I've been able to, to do this work and pursue it. And um, my mission to do my part in saving the world. Beautiful. I love the image you shared earlier of, I think you said, putting our arms around our young girls or daughters and yes. encouraging them. I have a six-year-old daughter who uh-huh. you know, is in the middle of like a big math season for herself, she's like super thrilled about math. And I want to continue to nurture that and let her know that she can do anything her older brothers do. She's just That's as right. smart as, as them. But there is that sort of societal piece to it that even as her mother... I can, I can find myself thinking, oh, maybe, maybe math isn't going to be what she does long-term. And I'm like, what is going on in my own heart that, you know, I would even have that, but we're so society. So puts that bias in us, but I love you. And you talked about your earthly and heavenly father and pairing that with that image of sort of putting their arms around and encouraging you and moving you forward. Um, And you use the word calling at the beginning, and we often use the term calling in the context of considering a career or even um, where to move geographically. What are your thoughts on the idea of God's calling, and how has that influenced or shaped your career path? So I feel very called and led to every place where I am. Now, I've grown into this. It hasn't been something that I've understood my entire career. But just like the Bible was written, um, I I heard a a preacher say um, in a podcast I was listening to the other day about how we, you know, these experiences happened, things happened in the Bible. Jesus meets the woman at the well, but it it was written, you know, after. So we experienced the story that was written in the Bible after it happened. And, And I feel like that's how life has has kind of happened for me. I've, I've experienced it. Like I understand now that many of the things I experienced were for such a time as this, 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, I so see my life experiences as an Esther journey. And I didn't know then that my love for the world and my passion for a place called Africa that I didn't even know, like I was looking for it on the map, would eventually be the place where I would live and work and minister and experience. And so I say it's a calling because um, when when God was shaping and designing me, he knew all along, but I didn't know that the experiences and, and whether they were the triumphs or the letdowns or the disappointments that they were all going to be a part of the resiliency of who I am, the grace that I have experienced that I'm now able to extend, the compassion that I've seen. And so I'm now able to design in that space. So so all of that is a part of the calling. Now, as I matured spiritually, God's, God really exposed a few things to me. One of them um, is that a part of what he has called me to do in my vocation is to lead, to learn, and then to leave. Mm-hmm. Getting an awareness around this for me was so freeing. Um, it's also a pain point for me. The freedom comes from me understanding that my work is no longer about my career. It is no longer about my promotion or my title. Doesn't mean those things aren't important to me because look, I'm human. I, I mm-hmm. want to be. I want to have a title and a, and a salary and and a leadership role that reflects what I want to do. Sure. But I have to. I have to surrender to that every time because. My my workplace is my assignment. It is where God has called me to be an elder or a leader or a prayer partner, uh, an intercessor, um, uh, a small group leader, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that, that, whatever it's called in the church. It's, it's exactly what God calls me to in my workplace. And so this assignment is not my choice. God does delight us and give us the desires of our heart. And I love this new assignment that he's brought me to, but I've had some assignments that I did not love, but I had to honor him in that work. And he positions me to go someplace and that's exactly what I'm doing now. I'm leading and I'm very new in this role. I've been in this new role two weeks and I am leading some things that people are like, how are you doing that so quickly? Because God infuses that, that in me to be able to get up and solve problems. I'm learning a lot. And then at some point he's going to move me and I have to leave. I've had to live a lot of places. I've moved a lot. I currently own a home, a vacation home in Florida, have an apartment in Washington, DC, just sold my house in New Jersey and have an apartment in San Francisco. I live (laughs) all over the coast. Yeah. um, But at least I'm all in the Americas now. I can, you know, I'm, I'm in the States, although I love living globally as well. Loved it so much. But eventually he calls me to leave every one of those places. And mm-hmm. that's hard for me because um, when I plant roots and I give love, I, I do it hard. So I, leaving is always hard for me. But when, when the grace is lifted or when the season is over, he moves me. And that's my calling. That's what he has for me. He gives me the grace to do it. It's not for everyone, but you've got to know for sure that if this is the assignment in the place where God puts you, then you have to um, know for sure what he's calling you to do in that place. Um, And there are some assignments that I would love to have that they're not, maybe they're not a part of his plan at the moment. And then there are other assignments that I'm not always wishing that I had, but they're, they're for his glory. 
I really appreciate that idea of sort of the permission. Well, actually, you the word is calling, the calling to leave a place. We often think about the calling to go to a certain place, but rarely do we phrase it in that way. And I, I love that idea because I, I think for myself, I tend to be a really loyal person in the sense of like, I'll stay somewhere forever yeah. unless I have like explicit permission it is time for you to go from this place right so you mentioned sort of living globally as well not just in the americas so could you share a little bit about some of your geographical journey even and some of the roles that you've had all over sure and you know i spent almost two decades with general electric so someone might say well you never really left you were there i had so many jobs and i lived so many places when i was there so mm. i had to I had to leave many teams in many places. Some of them I was like, bye. And other ones I was just like, <laughs> not yet, Lord. And Africa was mm-hmm. one of them. The global movement that he allowed me to be a part of, I have worked in Bangladesh, Indonesia, Beijing, China, Bangalore, India, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, London, and Africa. I've traveled many sure. more places done a lot more overseas and what's funny is like you know I just went to Atlanta for like the first time you know because I've never been to like <laughs> USA or whatever but those places um and my and I'm also very much aware that my calling is to the emerging markets so I don't do a lot of assignments in some of the as places that are as glamorous um I may have worked there or or, or had an office there or had to go to a meeting there but you know, doing work in the throes of, of sub-Saharan Africa was what I was called to do and what I love to do. I am a globalist. I consider myself a citizen of the world. I'm mm-hmm. a girl from New Jersey that's a citizen of the world. I love the world. And like I said, it's loved me back. And I'm grateful for that. The experiences that I've had around the world have changed my perspective about everything. They've changed how I show up as a family member, as a friend, as a believer, they've changed. It's changed how I pray, um, how I approach my relationship with God. Um, it's changed how I listen and how I speak, how I look at people. I believe it's helped me so much with the spirit of judgment, which is a flaw that I have. So, you know, so much within me and just judging. And it's such a Western mentality. I can tell you this, I've learned for sure that judgment is in my opinion, much more Western than it is in other parts of the world. Mm. But, uh, but I wore that a lot and it's changed so much of that in me and I'm grateful for that. And I think it's come from, it's the experiences. I challenge every woman to, if given the opportunity, and even if you're not given it, to go seek it. The opportunity to be an expat, to do a global assignment, to travel mm. the world, visit other places, is is something that will expand and broaden Absolutely. your capacity, your thinking so much. I, I challenge every woman to do that. And that experience has been life-changing for me. Beautiful. I used to work a lot with undergraduate students in ministry. And when they, whenever they would share that they were going to study abroad, I was like, you know, that is fantastic. This will be yes. a life-changing experience. Certainly on, on my end as, as a campus minister, I was like a little sad that they wouldn't be there for a whole semester, but that's so selfish. And, uh, you know, the experience to be able to go abroad 
is for sure life-changing. I spent the summer between my junior and senior year of college in Russia, and it was completely eye-opening in in so many ways. You know, that was 18 years ago or so, and it's still influence. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So I appreciate you sharing and sort of challenging that, that, um, to all women, if you have a chance to experience time abroad and and not just tourism per se, but actually living there and being immersed in the culture for a while. Exactly. You shared about the spirit of judgment and that, wow, that resonates in a lot of ways for me too. I think we are quick to judge and I had never thought about it as a Western cultural trait. But yeah, that's me being self-aware. And um, yeah. it's also something that I repent. I confess and repent often because I I know that God calls us to receive the diversity of the world that he's created. And I've learned in my experiences something that a young lady said to me in uh, in West Africa once. She said, we do things different, but that doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them different. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So related to that, are there other aspects of your professional journey that have impacted or shaped your faith? Wow. I would say all of the journey has affected me, but in so many different ways. So maybe I can talk about a few different ways that it has. Sure. Having lived in sub-Saharan Africa and worked in some of the poorest parts of the world, not just in Africa, but India and other places, I have learned a gratitude that maybe I didn't always have. Mm -hmm. And I've learned an appreciation for prayer from my African church family for fasting and for prayer that I never had experienced because their prayer is so fervent and it is so specific. Because when you live in that environment, it's almost like you're like, I don't have time for general basic prayers. They're living in a combative society and the pestilence of that world is upon them every day. And so they pray with such a strong fire and with such a specific desire for for what they need God to do or what they're desiring for God to do for them and what they want to be through him. And I learned that and it, and it just changed so much about you know, who I am and how I pray. So it's changed me in that way. It's changed me as a, as a family member and friend, because I believe I just show up differently. My mm-hmm. perspective of the world has changed. And uh, I believe it's changed me even as, as a business leader, um, the way that I solve, the way that I design strategies, the way that I think about and approach a problem. It's just with a global mindset. And that's what happens mm-hmm. when you're exposed to different things. And also, I I have a lot of clarity around my calling. I live in the Americas now, but I'm not an America's leader. I'm a global leader because God has given me a passion and a mission for the world. Like I said, though, I had to grow into that calling. There are some things that I knew that I loved when I graduated college. I knew that I loved designing and, and fixing things as an engineer. I knew that I wanted to do it in the space of health. I had no idea that it was going to end up being 
handheld ultrasound in parts of the world that would help women and babies and that I'd be a, a, you know, a UN enabler for the Millennium Development Goals or the Sustainable Development Goals. That's the extra part, right? I didn't know that. Right. Um, I just ran with the passion that God put in me and I, I showed up to every assignment and worked in every space with the passion that was in me and then it turned into these greater things. And so that's a, a process of maturity that, that comes over time. So related to that, then one of the posts that we had the most engagement with on social media um, for women in the academy and professions was an article about ambition. A lot of your achievements sounds like, you know, you have a great deal of or had a great deal or still have a great deal of ambition. Can you share your thoughts on that idea? And then maybe even more specifically, what advice you would offer Christian women who desire to be ambitious in their careers? Sure. First of all, it's really important for me to make sure that it's clear that I don't have any problem with ambition. There's nothing wrong with having a passion and a desire and goals and and wanting to attain them. What I'm committed to doing is surrendering them to God every day, all the time, and making sure that the things that I'm chasing after are are, are really things that He's putting in front of me, so that I'm always chasing and running in step with him. You know, what is God calling me to do and what is he calling me to put off? You know, so it's, it's as much of that every day. And it's following the process of being in the world, but not of the world. You know, so one might say, oh, well, you're, if you're, you know, as a Christian, how can you be so, you know, ambitious? You're supposed to be surrendered to God. I am. And God is that's the way he built me. I, I love solving problems. I love the workplace. I love being in these meetings and in these discussions. And God needs a voice of righteousness in every one of these places. Absolutely. It's just that I have to present myself in a way that it shows that I'm surrendered and I'm submitted to God. And that it, Romans talks about that, like being submitted to Christ. And so I can be ambitious and still be submitted. It just means that my my chasing doesn't cause me to hurt others in the process. There are other people that become a part of my journey and that are watching and learning and, and waiting um, to see how God can do things. And it's my role to be able to ensure that I'm saying, yes, I studied hard. I got this degree. I got my MBA. I worked hard. I saved my money. I got promoted. I bought homes. All of it is because of who God created me to be, the people that he put me in touch with, the things that I said yes to, the things that I put off and said no to, and the surrender that I gave to God for him to be able to then open these doors. Because regardless of of what I've accomplished, I am very clear that none of it is a result of who I am. And I could debate that with someone that's not of the faith. Someone that's not of the faith could say, well, when you study hard, you learn. And so you got an A, you got the grade. I would disagree. I would say, God gives me a capacity to learn and therefore I can study and get the grade. Mm-hmm. It's not just because of me. I'm not smart on my own. And so these are the things that that I that I say it's important to to do that, to, to, to follow the passion that God has given you. And for me, 
it's this desire for my career and to want to grow. But then I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, it's unfolding constantly about how he wants to use that as a way to bring him glory. And it's a platform and a stage for him. Doesn't mean that I get to hold prayer meetings in my office at two o'clock on Fridays. Maybe I would get to do that if I worked for a Christian organization, but it doesn't mean that I haven't prayed for countless colleagues. Um, Some of them may know about it and some of them don't. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And I love the contrast between sort of being ambitious and, and running over people in your ambition versus the ambition where you're submitting at the same time, submitting to God. It's a lot to think about. What challenges then have you encountered specifically as a woman in your career journey and even more particularly as a woman of color? So many. There's so many challenges, but it is well with my soul, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it is not easy. And I've had to grow into that too, because I will tell you, there was a time when I was so angry that I could, I was probably a lot less effective because I was angry. So, so I've, I worked through that, but, but some of the challenges, um, one, like you said, being a woman, (laughs) being a woman of color and then being a woman of color in technology. Right. Um, so, and in, in, in a very senior leadership roles. So first of all, the bias that is so present in our society for women in leadership women in technology. I know so many women in finance that that fight some of the same challenges. The disrespect that you receive in leadership roles, being looked over, being talked over, having your ideas disregarded, being simplified in a conversation, being removed from a conversation, being being in the room, being asked to leave the room, not being invited into the room. These are all experiences. Not having fairness in the pay practices, being asked to take on work that is not aligned with your core strengths and um, uh, not being offered the tough stuff, right? Right. Um, or feeling like you have to fight for the tough things. Those are, those are all experiences um, that I've had. I've also had some unfortunate racial uh, inequity, maybe not directly towards me, but in environments where I work, where you can feel unsafe, um, mm-hmm. where you can feel, feel challenged. And those things have been very difficult. And it requires a lot of, of, of asking God to heal you from the offense that builds up so that you don't show up angry. There was a, a period of time in my career where I wore everything on my shoulder and you could see it. And my career was plundering because of it. I was not working well because I was so angry. And uh, that was all I could bring to my environment every day was defensiveness and aggression. And, um, you know, I, I, those were difficult times for me. They were. And, and rightly so. I mean, that's a long list. And some of us have experienced some of those things as a white woman, I've experienced just, you know, a fraction of what you have. And especially like, I'm not in the technology field either. So there's that added, as you said, added societal, cultural just to increase there are some cultural yeah there are some cultural uh, iniquities and biases that we we experience and and it's just reticent it's there no matter what Mm -hmm. and 
it's it's unfortunate. It's but it's also truth. Well, so here's a question then coming from I'm so I'm a graduate student right now in clinical mental health counseling and you know a good bit of what I'm learning and studying is, you know, every emotion is valid. And so I, I took a, an entire class last semester or last spring rather on anger, ostracism, forgiveness, and reconciliation in counseling. And so we spent several weeks just on anger and why, you know, anger is valid. Anger is an emotion that that produces energy. And so you, you need to do something with this energy. So I hear you, you share about a period of time when you were really angry and I would say rightly so, right? Because the list of offenses is long and and brutal. But I also understand what you're what you mean when you say like you can't carry that anger with you into all things. How did you work that out? How did you actually like process that anger and bring it to God and come to a place where you're able to experience these offenses but not let them destroy you? If that if that's right makes sense. No, it's it's a great question that I, I want to talk to in two ways. I want to talk about what it meant to me spiritually and also what it meant practically. Okay. Um, and then what I did and then where I missed it. So what I didn't do was use my voice. Mm. I'm a strong, I'm a stronger woman now. And I, I say that because although many people will listen to this interview I know that it is for women. And what I did not do is use my voice. I didn't speak up for myself. I didn't shine a light on the the difficulties that I was facing. I didn't report some of the challenges because I was afraid. I was afraid of, oh, am I going to lose my job if I speak up? Oh, am I going to be, you know the outcast. I'll never get promoted. I was so afraid of that. And, um, I lived in that fear for, for years. And, um, and, and thank God that he restores the time and the freedom. So there's a great story uh, at the end of this, but I didn't do that. And I, and I want the women that hear this to know that I didn't have the support that I needed to even encourage me to know that I could say something. Mm-hmm. So find that support because not saying anything doesn't help anyone, especially right. you. So that's what I didn't do. What I did do practically was change roles. I needed a new job. I needed to be in a different environment. So some of this is practical, right? Mm-hmm. And and God did allow that door to open up. He knew that I was breaking. He knew that I deserved or could do more. So he did help me move. I know that God opened up a door and it was uh, a wonderful experience to be able to have work that meant so much to me, like the work that I was doing as a missionary in Kenya, working in medical camps and things like that, all my vacation, for that to then become, for emerging market healthcare to become a focus point for the company that I worked for, to me, I saw that as God, like standing up in the room saying, I'm going to do this one for Janine. I'm going to make sure that she gets this. And then I got the phone call to say, we're going to have you just work a little on this project. I still had to keep the job that I was miserable in, Mm -hmm. but God sent me like a, like something to just, you know, get me through the tough days. It's like, the days on one side would be awful, but then I got to work on this great project with these, with Africa and these other things. And then eventually that became my full-time job. And I know it's because one, God stood up and, and, and changed 
the course of the way a Fortune 100 company was doing business, also that his daughter could get free and work in her calling. Right. But then I had to still work in some tough spots because all of those pain points were still places that I had to learn so that I could have a different experience all the way up until today when I deal with people that are hurting in the workplace, when I deal with people that are under difficult leaderships and I'm the person that has to go in and, and almost triage the team. Mm-hmm. It's because I know what, what they've been through and I'm compassionate to that. So, you know, there's the things I didn't do. They're the things that I did practically. They're the things that I did spiritually. And that's how I got through it. Now I'm a very different person. I have a different, I have a very different voice. Mm -hmm. I have a very different understanding of my assignment and where God places me. And because I'm clear on that, I know that I have to show up and I have to deliver and I have to work hard every day and I have to perform for him. But I also know that I don't have to fight because Mm -hmm. if he's called me here, then I'm supposed to be here. And when I'm not supposed to be here anymore, he'll have me leave. And I have to be okay with that. And I have to be prepared um, spiritually and financially and practically, you know, making sure that, you know, I am prepared to look for new roles or things like that or wherever he takes me. But I have to also be able to rest in the peace of knowing that he's my source and I go where he calls me. Thank you. For me, your story there was really beneficial and meaningful. So I hope it is as well for other women. If you could go back then to give your advice to yourself at the very beginning of your MBA program. Uh, so you, you did your MBA right out of undergrad. Is that correct? Or? No, I didn't. I actually okay. worked. Um, I was a software engineer. I coded for a few years. And then Fairleigh Dickinson, where I got my MBA, had a program with my company at that time. And I went and became a part of the MBA program and my company paid for it. Okay, great. And then, so if you could go back to that younger self and offer one piece of advice, what would it be? Wow, just one piece? Because <laughs> I want to come up. <laughs> yeah, just <a> one. <laughs> or or a couple. Could, we've we've no, got. I'm going to tell her one thing. All right. I'm go- I want my younger self to know that she is amazing just the way God made her. Because I spent so many years consumed with, am I pretty enough? Am I the right weight? Uh, Mm -hmm. Does my hair look right? I don't look like everyone else. You know, I, I need to talk differently. I have a, I have a deep raspy voice. Everyone else talks with a different tone and my voice is too scratchy. My parents are older. My siblings are old. My family doesn't look like everyone. I mean, you name it. Mm-hmm. I, I talk too fast. I talk too slow. I read too much. I wear glasses. You name it. I put an insecurity on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I just want that girl to know it turns out really well. And that she's fearfully and wonderfully made. Although I'm sure one of my Sunday school teachers told me that when I was young. I didn't know what that meant. Right. And I just want her to know that that she doesn't need to spend the time on that, that there's nothing wrong with being smart or wearing glasses or having short hair or having long hair or being overweight or being underweight or be, there's no, or having older parents or younger parents. All of those things can work together for the good of them that love the Lord. Mm. Thank you. I think that advice will 
be meaningful as well for many of us. I think the idea of putting in insecurity on top of a trait about ourselves is something many women do. Hopefully, you know, we can hear that as well, that we are fearfully, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. And then finally, we, we'd like to conclude the podcast by asking if you would share a particular quote or song or scripture or other set of words that have been particularly meaningful to you in this time lately and why it resonates with you. Mm. So I have so many, um, I have different scriptures that I follow. There's two that I, I'm looking at right now and I have my notebook open. I brought it with me to work today um, because mm-hmm. this is where I write some of my my prayers and, and different things. And there's a song that I sing a lot um, when I'm walking home from work. I'm, I'm in the city of San Francisco and I can walk to my apartment. And I sing a couple different songs sometimes when I'm walking. I love the song, I Come to the Garden Alone While the Dew is Still on the Roses. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I love this song. I loved it since I was a kid. But I, my favorite part is, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. That song just brings me so much peace. And I think when I'm walking home from work, the city's very loud, it's very noisy. I'll have my earbuds in even though I'm not listening to anything. I just need to like focus and just, I don't know, work through some things. So sometimes I I sing that song and it just comes up a lot because I was singing it yesterday. And then one scripture that I, I, I follow quite a bit because it it's very much a part of my role as a servant leader. And so it's from Psalm 78, verse 72, and it says, David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. And that's something that I keep in my notebook. It's something that I, when I look at my role as a leader, I want to do that. I'm like, Lord, help me to shepherd my team according to the integrity of my heart and to guide them with the skill, the talent, the gifts that you've given me. So that's that's another scripture that I often say. And then I'm right now, I've been lately looking at Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. It says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. And in parentheses I have there, I'm talking to myself, the Lord is waiting to be good to me. I I need to come to him so that he can show me his love and compassion. And that's just something that's reminding me to just take everything to him. And like, how do you want me to solve today? How do you want me to help other people today? How should I approach uh, the person that opens the door or the person cleaning my office or my mom or my niece today or, or things like that. So, Mm -hmm. so that's just a, a few of them that I'm, that I'm looking at maybe today or I write them, I bullet journal. And so um, I have scriptures in my bullet journal, but then I also usually at the beginning of each week um, have some different scriptures that I try to focus on for the week. That just happens to be the one for this week. The Isaiah 30? Yes, that's just one of them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. So normally I wouldn't ask this, but I feel a little led to, uh, hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot, but would you conclude by praying for the women that are listening to this podcast? Sure. I would love that. You spoke about prayer throughout many of the responses for the questions. And so I wondered if that might be a, a way to conclude this podcast. I will. Thank you. God, I thank you so much for 
Caroline and for this podcast. Thank you for the team even thinking of me and for allowing me to be a part of it. I'm humbled and I'm honored and I pray that I represented you and the work that you've done in my life well so that you're glorified and so that lives can be touched and changed. I pray for every woman that is listening to this podcast for the things that she has heard or even for others that aren't women, but that for the things that they have heard and maybe for the things that they'll take away and share. I pray that all of it is received with the spirit of goodness and that no one is offended or um, receives uh, the stories that have been shared in a way that, that um, causes them to be um, distracted or discouraged. Let the words that have been shared fall on good ground and let lives be changed because of the experiences that I've had. This way, the things that I've gone through won't just be for me, but they'll be for others to be encouraged and to be edified and to be lifted up in the midst of their circumstances. Remind those that are listening that you're with them, that they need only to come to you so that you can show your love and compassion to them that they need only rest and wait on you because you go before them and you fight their battles, that they need only surrender to you so that you can cause them to lie uh, in green pastures and and beside still waters, and that they need only trust you knowing that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in you, um, that you love them, that everything that concerns them is a priority for you. Uh, You care so much for us and who you're making us to be. And so I pray that those that hear this podcast would be encouraged to live the journey that I went on, which is which I term the surrendered life. And that's where we're giving everything to you, our desires, our dreams, our thoughts. There's nothing that we can't bring to you from this, the classes that we're studying in to the career decisions that we make to, to what we have for lunch. It's all important to you. And, and if we surrender it all to you, you'll walk with us, you'll talk with us, you'll remind us that we're your own. And the joy that we share as we tarry with you um, will be just a wonderful, blessed experience that no one else can have because we are yours and you are ours. So thank you, God, for for this opportunity. I pray that we will walk away from this experience closer to you and closer to the passion and the goals and the direction that you have for our vocation and for our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Janine. We really appreciate you sharing your stories and your experience and wisdom with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.